boom. <laughs> Just an utter, complete, not fake, transformation of herself to be in condition to provide service to someone else. <laughs> and three weeks later, I was back down in Australia just to take her out to dinner. And we went diving in the Maldives a few oh months God. after that. And we've been together now for 20 years. <laughs> That's how I met my wife. Okay, I was not expecting that. Hello, my name is Lauren D'Souza, and you're listening to Retain, the Customer Retention Podcast. More and more companies are wanting to focus on retaining customers, but what exactly are the powers of customer retention? And how are companies using it to keep their customers coming back for more? That's what we're here to find out. Today, we welcome Ron Kaufman, a keynote speaker and author who's considered an authority on all things customer service. Ron is the CEO of Uplifting Service and has helped transform the cultures of many global brands, including Microsoft, Xerox, and Coca-Cola. He's the author of the New York Times bestseller, Uplifting Service, in which Ron provides the reader with ways to delight their customers. Ron is also a sought-after keynote speaker and has delivered presentations at conferences and events all around the world. Thank you so much for being here today, Ron. It is my pleasure to be with you and all of your listeners and viewers. It's going to be a good one today. I'm excited. Here we go. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Let's kick it off. A uh, question that I typically ask just to start and kind of get the ball rolling is, I'm curious because you have so many different experiences. You have lots of wonderful years of experience as well. So let's start out by learning more about your background, what got you into customer service in the beginning? I want to hear yeah. a little backstory to this all. So I grew up in Westport, Connecticut during an era when the game called Ultimate Frisbee was just <laughs> being invented. And my high school was the second high school in the world to even know the rules. So we had a team and we played. And then as all of us went to school, to college, we started our team. So I started the Brown University Ultimate Frisbee team. During my undergraduate years, I spent two years in Europe and took the sport and the rules all over European countries, translated them into other languages, helped start players associations, tournaments, festivals, clinics, family play days. And in those events, learned how to work with an audience. How do you engage the crowd? How do you get people to learn something new? It might be a throw, a catch, a game, etc. I learned how to work with the police department and the radio station and the concessionaires and the public and the people who brought the dogs. And so then after I graduated from university, I was doing Frisbee professionally around the world, organizing these things. I had a mail order catalog called Disc Covering the World. Get it? <laughs> and the country of Singapore back in 1990 had an economic issue. All the low-cost manufacturing went to China. All the back office and data processing went to India. And this little country, which is really one city, had to figure out how to move up the value chain. Now, they had one company that had already established itself as a service leader, and that was Singapore Airlines. And the reason for that was everybody flies the same aircraft, they use the same airports, they use the same travel agents at the time. So Singapore couldn't really differentiate by being bigger because they were so small. So what they decided to do was focus on service. And because you didn't have to actually pay more for it, if you could get your crew and your people to understand the differentiating advantage. And of course, from day one, they were competing with British Airways. They were competing with Cathay Pacific. They were competing with Qantas. So they had to play at the global level. Right. So what the country did is they said, let's use the icon of the airline and let's bring in some global experts to teach everybody in the entire country 
how to deliver more service value. Well, they met me and I didn't know about service, but I understood adult education from my years of designing Frisbee festivals. No way. And That's they so brought funny. me to Singapore for a week, which became two weeks, which became the project manager of the curriculum development team for seven months, which became the national master trainer who trained the Singaporeans to teach the curriculum. And that was 32 years ago. And I've been based here ever since. No way. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like I know you're calling you from Singapore right now. So does that mean you stayed the entire time? And wow. I stayed the entire time, except for 29 years before the pandemic. <laughs> I was on 100 flights every year doing keynote speaking workshops, seminars, trainings all over the world. So when COVID came, it settled me down. And it's been wonderful <laughs> to be able to work more here on Zoom than right. to be constantly running through airport lounges. That is awesome. What an interesting story. And so I'm curious, over these years of working in customer service and customer experience, how has the industry's perspective changed on that? How has it shifted? How is huge, it? Huge, huge. Mm -hmm. Back during the 90s is really, I think, when manufacturers and supply chain and distributors suddenly realized that with the commoditization and globalization that was going on during that era, that you couldn't just win based on a better product or even a lower price anymore. You actually had to deliver more value through the relationship that you created with your client. So that was one big step. The other was that the whole world of IT, hardware, software, and financial services started to realize, you know what, we're not only in the technical business, we're actually in the service business for what they used to call the users. Like, remember when there were dumb terminals and there was a <laughs> user at the end? I mean, that was the language of it. And it suddenly yeah. it became, no, 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 that's a human being over there. We better take care of it. <laughs> so that was a real flourishing of the areas. Interesting. And I guess you've seen it in so many different perspectives. One thing that we have on the show here is a bunch of different perspectives on customer service, customer experience, customer retention, everything to do with customers, you name it. And so I'm always curious to understand the perspective of each guest that we bring on because your experiences shape that, everything about your work shapes that. And so what would you say are the core principles of customer service? Okay, there's two ways to answer that. One is to get right into, you know, what are the principles as in the tools to apply, the analytic frameworks that can help, you know, the ways of looking at it. But I think there's another one that's more fundamental. When I started working in the field and the country said, we want to become known as outstanding in service, my first question was, what do you mean by service? And you could ask 100 people and get 100 slightly different answers. In fact, if you don't mind, let me ask you, what is service? It's a good question. Right. And you're somebody who's a specialist in the field. So yeah. it literally took me a few years. And then I realized, okay, I've got to be able to explain this to a lay person. It's kind of like, how do you explain a brand new sport to somebody? You better make yeah. it simple. And so here's the definition I wrote. Service is taking action. That makes sense, right? You got to do something. Service is taking action to create value for someone else. Okay. All right. You know, the moment you hear it, you go, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And, the, nice. and it makes sense for the external customer service, but it also makes sense for all the internal service from IT, mm -hmm. from finance, from admin, from HR, from security, et cetera. It also makes sense that the front line and the supervisor and the manager and the leader all the way up to the boardroom, taking action to create value I for someone so else. Yeah. So simple. Yeah. 
So simple, yeah? Now, more recently, I've been digging into, well, wait a minute, what do we mean by value? Value is an assessment. Value is someone's interpretation. Right. And generally, something is valuable when it contributes to someone's well-being. Because mm-hmm. also, you way. could say that it's value is convenience, for example, and I could say value is a pleasant experience, for example. It could be completely different exactly. between both of us. Or it could be food when you're hungry, or it could be a blanket when you're cold, mm-hmm. or it could be an explanation when you're confused, or it could be a recommendation when you have a need, etc. right? So service yeah. is taking action to create value for someone. Now, just to show you how deep this goes, very few people understand where did the word customer come from? I don't Come know. on, you're a specialist. <laughs> Come on. Oh, Come on, you're making goodness. me look bad here. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me fill in the blank. Okay. And it's surprising because the word customer originally came from tax collector. What? Well, think about it. When you cross a border, you go through customs. Customs. And customs are the people who extract value <laughs> from the trader who's bringing something across a border. Okay. Now think about that. A customer is the person who gets the value. That makes perfect sense. Service is taking action to create value for, well, let's call it the customer. It's a perfect fit. Right. Amazing. I never thought about about it that way. And by the way, the world is changing and, and, you know, we're all dealing with ecological issues and political issues and and social issues, et cetera. So I've been putting a lot more effort recently, the past four years or so, into the phenomenon of care. Mm -hmm. And so what is care? (laughs) And that's that's really a commitment to someone's well-being, a concern and a commitment, like when you care about. Yeah. But how do you take good care. Oh, well, you have to take some action. Oh, so service is taking action to create value. Value is what contributes to someone's well-being. Care is the commitment to the well-being. These two things fit like that. Mm-hmm. And so when you ask me, what are the fundamental principles? Those are the fundamental principles. <laughs> I love that. Of service, value, and care. That's why I love asking that question, because no one else gave me an answer like that. So yeah. <laughs> it's always nice to hear it from different perspectives. But You make such a good point because even in my head, the gears are turning about how it's so clear for every single person to understand. It doesn't matter what different perspective you might have on it or different experiences because just what you said, taking action to create value, it's so clear, it's so straightforward, and it's easy to know what to do with that. Do you know what I mean? In terms of everybody knowing how to align on that. Well, let's talk about that because when you say easy to know what to do about that or to implement that, and not Mm. always because people work generally within existing systems and there's processes and there's standards and there's service level agreements and there's KPIs and there's evaluation criteria and targets and budgets and all that stuff. And the purpose of all of that ultimately is to create value for the customer, but they're not always well-educated or trained or adept at actually thinking about what is the customer's experience? What is it like for the customer to be on the receiving side of all that system and process and KPI and SLA, et cetera? And so a lot of the work that we do is to help people place themselves, if you will, in the customer's shoes and see the world from their point of view. And then from that recipient's point of view, do an honest evaluation of what is the quality of service that they're receiving. Mm -hmm. And that's the the beginning, really the first principle that allows an emergence of a self-assessment and a curiosity, and then an ambition and an aspiration and a desire to step up. No, that's a great point. And I think an example that came to my mind when you were talking about this, even actually from the beginning of talking about Singapore Airlines, was that 
when I was three or four years old, my parents and I were going to Singapore. And I don't remember how this happened, but I remember when I came off the flight, the flight crew that was on the flight was walking me up and down the aisles, hanging out with me, having a good time. And I came off the flight with my own little stewardess outfit. And they had that ready to go for little kids. And I was three or four. Like, how did they have that on hand? And I was thrilled about that. I kept that thing for maybe 10 to 15 years. I wouldn't actually be surprised if I still had it in my house. And clearly, I'm still talking about it. And so we always remember the service there was so wonderful because you don't really remember the food that much. I mean, that's pretty standard to think about that. You don't remember what movie you saw. Exactly. But something like that of having the stewardess outfit for your three-year-old daughter, very, very memorable. (laughs) And how do you think your parents felt about that? Yeah, they were happy because I was quiet. (laughs) Thank goodness. And they're walking you up and down the aisle. (laughs) No, but it's true because like you said, it's not so easy to be done because that's not a natural thing to think about. But they've gone above and beyond in understanding the customer service and the next steps that it takes to be able to create that value for that passenger on that flight who has a little kid, for example. And which is why I'm so excited because I was learning more about your book, Uplifting Service. And so I'm so curious to dive into this a little bit and just understand a bit more about it. So first things first, what drew you to write Uplifting Service? Walk me through that. And I'm excited to hear Uh any stories that come out of that. So when I came to Singapore back in 1990, I was not a service expert. I had a good intuition about adult education from doing the Frisbee activities. And I looked at this conceptual abstract phenomenon called service and realized we have to get people involved. And we've got to get them in a good mood so that they can then be willing to see things from a different point of view and come up with new ideas and try something and may not succeed at the first time, kind of like learning to throw and catch. So I read a lot of the existing books about service. And honestly, I didn't find the fundamentals that I was looking for. I'd been trained by some outstanding philosophers, some really unique historians and cultural experts, and I still am mentored today. And I realized there was a lot of writing, but there wasn't writing that was speaking as directly as you heard me speak, for example, at the beginning of this call. So I said, no, 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 I have to reconstruct this for people. I have to reconstruct this from a a real fundamental foundation of humans taking action for one another and creating value. I started writing a book and I, I used the illustrations that I had been using on my flip charts with my magic markers back in the day, (laughs) even before I was using PowerPoint or anything else. (laughs) And then I had to come up with a title for the book. You know, is it five-star service? Is it white glove service? Is it excellent service? And and I had a uh, high school student sketching out some illustrations. He had one that was me on a rocket ship going up in the air, and then another one, you know, on an elevator, and then he had one with a hot air balloon. And when I saw that, I said, that's it. It goes up. It's up your service. And my very first book was called Up Your Service. Oh, cool. It was cheeky. It was provocative on purpose. (laughs) And I wrote three books in that series. Nice. And those were really about how do you give a good service experience? How do you delight a customer? How do you create more value? But what I did not do at that time, because I didn't understand it deeply at that point, was how do you build a culture in a complex organization? in which this understanding and appetite to continuously create more value is not only happening for the external customer, but it's also happening internally to the point where it differentiates the organization itself. 
and thereby naturally attracts the best talent, retains the best talent, attracts the customer loyalty, the retention, et cetera, et cetera. And so when I had both of those parts, how do you improve service performance and how do you build an uplifting service culture? That's when I wrote the New York Times bestseller called Uplifting Service. That's awesome. I love that. I also love the name of your previous book. That's so good. (laughs) (laughs) No, so that's really interesting because even when I saw the title Uplifting Service, I was really curious because it's not easily known exactly what you're going to talk about. Obviously, you have a sense that you're going to talk about providing exceptional service to customers, but that's a pretty broad topic. And there's so much that can come under that. So I was curious to know how you would approach it, your perspective on it, but how does an e-commerce company deliver an uplifting service? And how do they combine these two main facets that you're talking about? Right. And, and that's the right way to think about it, these two main thrusts where you've got mm-hmm. improving service performance internally and externally, building an outstanding or uplifting service culture that's continuously improving. So you're choosing e-commerce as an industry. The first is to recognize, remember we said to create value for someone else. And one of the fundamental analytic frameworks in the book and in our online courses and in all of the consulting and the training work that we do is called the four categories of value. So the first category is primary, and I literally call it primary product. So in an e-commerce company, what are you selling? But it's not just what are you selling, it's what range do you have and what sizes do you have and what colors do you have and what price points do you have and what packages do you offer and what's your pricing? And all of that is part of your primary product, okay? That's one category. Now, oh, you've got what I want, or you've got the selection that I'm looking for, right? Then the second category is called delivery systems. Is your website user-friendly? Is it easy to navigate? Is it easy to understand? Can I get all the product information that I want? If I have a question, can I get it answered easily? When I place an order, is it convenient and easy and user-friendly and intuitive for me to place that order? If I have a question later on about my order, where is my order? Have you shipped my order? How, what are my options for paying for my order? I need to do a return. All of those things are not the product. That's not the product. That's the delivery system. And you know what? You can create value with having a convenient, flexible, user-friendly system. And you can also destroy value by having any aspect of that that doesn't work. Just like on the primary product, you can create value by having the variety and the selection and the prices, et cetera. But you could also damage value by not having what it is that somebody would be naturally looking for. So those are our top two categories, primary product, delivery systems. And these tend to constitute what we would refer to as the hardware of any company. E-commerce for sure. Yeah. Yeah, but then there's two more categories at the bottom of this framework, right? And the one on the one side is called service mindset. And that's the traditional thing that most people think about when they hear the word service, like a waiter in a restaurant with a smile. So service mindset in e-commerce is literally in the words that are used on the page. For example, do you remember a few years back, there were some online platforms where if you inadvertently typed in the wrong password, the message you got was user error. <laughs> okay. At the same time, other companies in really the 2.0 world were emerging, where if you typed in the wrong password, it said, oops, we're sorry. Try again, please. Yep. Exact same technical situation. But why were these so different? Because a human being actually thought, who am I writing this to in the second case? In the first case, it was some data person who technically wasn't wrong by saying user error. 
So then in an e-commerce environment, the place of the service mindset would show up is in terms of the way they invite you, the way they thank you, the way when they write to you, it's the tone of language, it's the voice, et cetera. And if you ever do need customer support, when you reach out in today's world, either through a chat or by sending an email or by going online, what is the tone of voice? Are they listening to you like, okay, what's the problem? What's your order number? Blah, 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 blah. Or is it, hi, thank you so much for calling. My name is so-and-so and I'm delighted to help you. Whoa, that's creating value or even potentially destroying value. And the fourth and the final category is called ongoing relationship. And this is the category that might have the most to do with your preferred topic of customer retention. Because here is where you're not just serving the customer to create value now, but because of your interest in their well-being, which is a verb, <laughs> then you're thinking about what comes next for that customer. You're being proactive and you're anticipating on behalf of that customer. You right. may be inviting them to understand certain things that they didn't even know they should be asking about and thereby creating value by cultivating an ongoing relationship, which is a whole nother category. And it's a huge one today for so many industries. Right. Okay. So we had primary product. We had delivery systems delivery as system. the hardware. Service. The... Right. And then the bottom then the two are service. the hardware. Ah, look at you with all the funds. I love that. (laughs) And the ongoing relationship. (laughs) And so memorable too. Hardware. I really like that. You know who loves to work with this framework? Engineers. Really? Why is that? Yeah, because they're technical. So if you can give them an analytic framework that can be applied to a situation as a diagnostic in which Mm -hmm. they can then say, okay, oh, now I understand that service thing you've been talking to me about. You don't just want me to smile and have a friendly tone of voice. You actually are showing me how to create more value. Oh, and by the way, I could improve my smile and my friendly tone of voice, but now you've given me a framework Mm. to understand why. So it's more tangible than just abstract saying, be nice, for example. For example, try pulling that one off with an engineer. (laughs) (laughs) Fair, fair. Okay, awesome. And so even just how you mentioned on that retention piece, because surprise, surprise, we're called Retain, the customer retention podcast. And also the reason why I asked you about e-commerce was because a lot of our listeners are Shopify business owners, people in the e-commerce space. That's majority of our listeners, I would say, and that's majority of our customers at Gameball as well. And so it's such a ever-evolving landscape. There's so much going on. People are always talking about retention. But really, my goal on this podcast is to get like the yes. real understanding of the tactics that drive these sorts of things. And so I'm curious to know, have you seen any really inventive or innovative retention strategies with your customers or people who have used your book to change the way that they process in their companies? Okay, so I can give you a couple of significant examples that I think everyone listening will understand from their own personal life. Right. But they're not Shopify, Etsy kind of. I think that's perfect. You know, all right. Absolutely. And so then those of you who are listening who are in that particular world, you're going to have to do the thinking yourself or how do these lessons apply? To ah, we me? love that. <laughs> okay. So one of them is in the world of financial services. And so customer retention, let's say for a bank, can be super important and become increasingly profitable over the life cycle of the client. Because if that customer comes to you, stays with you, works, earns money, has children, buys a house, has six cars, bought a second house, I mean, six cars over time, (laughs) sent kids to college, saved for retirement, had some investment assets. I mean, when do you want that customer? 
Do you just want the checking account that they opened with when they were a student? Or do you want them all the way through to the intergenerational wealth transfer in their legacy planning where your bank is going to be the one that's going to keep the assets under management in the trust department? Whoa. Right. Okay, so then when you're interacting with that customer in each and every situation, it cannot be only transactional. And yet, each time the customer shows up, it looks like it could look like, oh, I'm here to do a transaction with a smile, but that won't create any added value in the ongoing relationship category. And so you can imagine if you actually are a bank, you want each of those transactionally involved service providers to know how to think about what else might this customer want or need next that they may or may not even know about. What are their hopes? What are their dreams? What are their fears? What are their anxieties? What do they understand? What are they ignorant about? And how can I bring them into their own well-being in the future so that they see me as a representative of this bank as one who cares about them and is not just here to serve them now? Whoa. Okay. Now let's go to healthcare. (laughs) And you start talking about everything from, you know, here's a couple, they just got married, they want to get pregnant, and they're having issues with fertility or not. Oh, they're pregnant. So now you've got from the very beginning and all the way through that cycle to birth, to infancy, to toddler, to adolescent, to tween. Then you get your teenager, then, you know, all of what goes on there. And then you've got the next and all the way through to end of life. So then if you're a healthcare providing organization, or do you just want to treat the symptoms of what's going on right now? Or should you, if you're a responsible healthcare provider that will keep that customer and their family and the positive recommendations that come from it over the course of a lifetime, then you need to be demonstrating that you care about them now and into their future. Right. I really enjoy the fact that you chose two examples that you wouldn't think of off the top of your head, because- mm-hmm. I feel like with financial services, everyone thinks, oh, it's just there. Like, it's just something that's part of life. Healthcare, same thing, I feel like. Even if you see these disruptive companies and things like insurance, for example, it's interesting to see things that are traditional and being disrupted in a way that's through actually customer service. So I really like the examples that you gave me there. You know, it's interesting. My wife has a hobby of making bead jewelry. So she uses semi-precious stones and Swarovski crystals and, you know, all the earrings. And and she's buying from these places like crazy, all (laughs) online, all small providers, right? I don't think any one of them has ever said, we'd love to see a picture of what you create. Think about that. Really? If just one of them actually said that and put up a catalog or a gallery or something of, you know, customers' creations, obviously with permission... But the extent of emotional loyalty that would thereby come for that particular... Okay, you get the point. No, it's a great point. And actually, as you were talking about that, I myself, one of my hobbies is baking. And I try to find all these different blogs because you're always trying to find the person who has really good tips, really good substitutions, all that kind of stuff. And I noticed that this one blog that I follow, she started implementing people's pictures of their baked goods. And all using her recipes, obviously. And even sometimes when people weren't using her recipes, they tried different tricks. Like, for example, if you use one different type of flour versus the other, it can change the whole outcome of the cake. And so she posted their pictures, even if it wasn't from their recipe. And now she has a wildly loyal fan base. And it's absolutely nuts. And even for myself, I won't go anywhere else because I know she cares about her actual fans because she's writing the recipes to see how they feel about it, not just to put a recipe out there. And it's absolutely absurd because I bake something maybe once every three weeks. 
And that's a lot of baking. That's a lot of time for me to visit that site. And I buy the tools that she recommends. I follow whatever she says because I trust her at this point. Just a very small step. Like it didn't really take a huge investment for her to do something like that. But it's enough to change the whole trajectory of how I view her brand, how I view her blog and stay loyal, just like you said. And differentiate her from every other blog and create a community of customers that want to see what each other has posted. Sure. We are social creatures. Humans are social creatures. There's a a flaw in our fundamental Western philosophy, which evolved many, many years ago, which said that the self, you know, the true self, the genuine self, the inner self, the authentic self, oh, cut it out. The self is a social phenomenon. None of us exists on our own. None of us learned the language that we've got or the name or anything else. Our desires, our preferences, our hopes, our fears are all generated out of this history of being social with one another. So now we talk about service. You can never separate service provider or customer. You're already connected as human beings in a very powerful way. Let's honor that. I really like that. That was a very powerful ending to that because it really just reminds people that you can talk about all these things, but really at the end of the day, it comes down to connecting with people and it comes down to being part of a community of some sort, whether it's you as a business owner, you as a team, you as the customer. As a member of the community in which we're all alive at the same time, what a miracle is that? So there's a little phrase that I use just for myself every day, which is a life well-lived contributes to the well-being of others. I love that. Well-being. Well, and you care, care. <laughs> and therefore you serve. Well, with that, actually, you jumped to the last part of where I was going to go. So I wonder if you have a different answer for this. But basically, sure. with every podcast that I do, I end off on what's my favorite part, which is the lightning round. So honestly, just to learn a little bit more about you and get some really unique perspectives on you as a person and your view on things. So three lightning round questions, one question with a piece of advice, and we're on our way. (laughs) Okay, so lightning round question number one, who is a global brand that you'd love to work with and why? I'm working with them. It's called the country, the government, and the people of Singapore. And the reason why I say that is because this is a multicultural, small, vulnerable, vigorously focused community that must do well because it's in a neighborhood that's challenging like crazy and it's Mm. tiny. So it has to find ways to be more valuable to other people and it can't afford to have anyone as an enemy. Wow. That sounds to me like a good way of going about your life. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Right, right. To be respectful and harmonious and encouraging and seek to create value for other people and do whatever it is to get along. Awesome. Okay. Question number two. If you could go back in time to another century, where would you go and what product would you try to sell them? Well, I'd go all the way back to whatever the era was before man or woman had harnessed to this phenomenon called fire. And I would go to where lightning had produced some kind of a fire incident. And while every one, <laughs> but realize back in then, nobody thought of themselves as a one. It was very clear that it's a we that's being together, that's keeping each other alive. And they'd all be running away because the damn thing's a fire. <laughs> and to be the person who could take a stick with an ember and lend, like create a sense of safety and be able to show that with that, you could cultivate warmth and be able to you know, do that with sufficient repetition (laughs) so that somebody said, (laughs) I would have created a lot of well-being in that moment. (laughs) You very much. Okay. 
Last but not least in the lightning round, what is the best customer service you've ever received? Oh, that one's pretty easy for me. So I was scuba diving in Western Australia. I was looking for whale sharks and I was traveling with a friend. Went to this place in Australia, which is way out of the way. It's called Exmouth. Oh, yes. And I was in the shop and there was a gal at the shop working there. And, you know, there was a little bit of chemistry between us, but that (laughs) happens, you know, wherever you go in the world. And over a couple of days, there was some, you know, trust between us emerging. And so she wasn't in a good mood and she was kind of, and I was commiserating. Okay. And that's what was going on over the counter. That's all. And then you hear ding, ding, ding. And the door opened up and a German couple came in and they came in because they wanted to book a scuba dive. And she was on the other side of the counter. And I literally watched her go from with me. And then she went, hi, can I help you? (laughs) Boom. Just an utter, complete, not fake transformation of herself to be in condition to provide service to someone else. (laughs) And three weeks later, I was back down in Australia just to take her out to dinner. And we went and then we got together and we went diving in the Maldives a few months after that. And we've been together now for 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I met my wife. Okay, I was not expecting that. Outstanding, right? (laughs) I love also the fact that you married a person that was based in customer service. Like the fact that the story rooted around customer service. That is incredible. I was not expecting that. Wow. What a lovely oh, and by story. the way, if you ever get a chance to ask her, she'll tell you the other side of the story, which is yes, there was this really tough and demanding customer. This <laughs> I was going to say, maybe we should bring your wife onto the podcast next because I'm curious <laughs> to hear her version of this. That is incredible. Well, okay. Last All but right. not least is our piece of advice question. And then we're on our way. Sure. So this is one that you actually mentioned earlier, but I'm curious to see if you have another answer for this. I do. But. Is there a piece of marketing or life advice that someone shared with you once that has always stayed with you? Well, I'll tell you the one that comes to mind. And it was from my mentor, a gentleman named Dr. Fernando Flores, an extraordinary person. Anyone interested could just Google his name and you'll find him. He was the finance minister of Chile before he was 30 and had five kids at the time. Right. Wow. And, uh, a dramatic life, incredible philosopher, biologist, uh, historian, business person, entrepreneur. And he said something once, and he said many, many things. I've spent two hours with him this morning on the phone. But I remember at the moment he said this, he said, a well-grounded negative assessment is worth its weight in gold. A well-grounded negative assessment is worth, is its, worth weight. its weight in gold. In okay. other words, there's a big difference between people's opinions and a well-grounded assessment, okay, which raises the question, how do you ground an assessment? Mm-hmm. Because an assessment is not a fact. It's still going to be a point of view. It's a, it's a somebody has this assessment, somebody has that assessment. One person says, this is valuable. The other person says, no, that's not valuable to me. This is valuable to me. Like the example you gave at the beginning of the podcast between convenience and let's say low price. Right. So if somebody gives me or gives you, if you're a listener here, a negative assessment, hey, I don't think you did that very well. Oh, you messed up on this. Boy, you need to learn X, Y, Z. Negative assessment. But if they ground it for you by saying, let me tell you why I say that. The performance in this particular area, the standard that I live to or I'm looking for, or I think the community expects is like this. 
And here are examples of specific performance or behavior that either does or does not comply with those community standards. So if somebody may offer you assessment and you don't just blurt it out at someone, hey, you need to hear my point. No, you ask with respect. And if they say, yes, please, like often happens for me when people ask me to mentor them and they're asking me to give them some kind of constructive critique, certainly some advice, but it can, it can only be constructive if I can ground why I say what it is that I'm saying. So I need to be very curious about them. What do they want to achieve? What world are they participating in? What community do they want to attract either to hire or to have as customers or as collaborators or partners? Then I need to understand enough about that particular field to know what are the standards of performance there? Right. What are the strategies? What are the behaviors? What are the regulations? And then if I can point out what somebody's missing, what somebody should be doing, but they're not doing, what somebody needs to learn about or is pretending to be competent in that they're clearly not, <laughs> that can become a well-grounded negative assessment. And with that, you can then design next actions to learn and improve. Okay. So it's almost like rooting the assessment in evidence so that there's a proper context to it without just giving someone a bunch of negative feedback. And so Absolutely it's that. Absolutely that. And when you say evidence, the evidence is based on certain criteria. And right. for it to be a well-grounded assessment, those criteria mm -hmm. need to be accepted by the general community of those who are competent in that domain. Now, that's quite a technical answer to a, your team may go, we're not going to play that one. And I would understand. <laughs> no, they and will. They will. <laughs> so, so let me give you the one other one that I would say. I already <laughs> earlier said, a life well-lived contributes I was to the you got that one, but here's the last one. I changed my own personal branding a few years ago from Ron Kaufman, uplifting service guru, et cetera. I'm still that, but it literally now says, if you go to my website at ronkaufman.com, it says, Ron Kaufman, serve, care, love. Serve, serve better. Step yeah. up, take action, create more value, learn how. Care, care more. Care more about the well-being of other people. And then to take good care, go back to serve. But the love is not like romantic intimacy. That's one type of love. For me, it's love life. I love love your life. We're mortal. We're not going to be here forever. We have this amazing <laughs> time to be alive. Please do what you love with your life and express that love to others. I love that. And I'm sure everyone listening right now is smiling the way I am, hearing that uplifting message that you have. <laughs> We'll bring it to an end today. Thank you so much for joining me. It was so awesome to have you on the show today. Nice to be with you. Thank you. Retain the Customer Retention Podcast is brought to you by Gameball. To find out how you can turn visitors and occasional buyers into loyal lifetime customers, head to gameball.co. Make sure to subscribe to Retain the Customer Retention Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Thanks for joining me and I'll see you next time.